Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a series studying the book of Jonah to help us fight the pull of apathy that keeps us from joining Jesus in his mission in the world. Thanks for being with us. Sorry about this, but I'm going to ask you to do some exercise with me today. We are going to practice a tradition that many churches have practiced for thousands of years together. I'm going to have you stand up again. And my friend Ethan is going to read God's word for us, the whole passage that we'll be looking at today. At the end of it, he's going to say, this is the word of the Lord, and our response will be, thanks be to God. So let's listen to God's word in Jonah 1. From the book of Jonah, chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for the port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord, because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to the land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Now, let's be honest together. What's the first thing you think of when you hear that we're going to do a series on the book of Jonah? The fish, right? Not a whale, it's a fish. And I remember when I was in Sunday school classes, whenever our teacher would teach on the book of Jonah, we would get the felt board out. How many of you remember the felt boards? Yes, the felt boards. We need to bring them back. And I could care less about the rest of the story of Jonah. I just kept thinking as a young boy, because this is like the dream for a young boy, this story, right? I kept thinking about, okay, how did he survive three days and three nights? What did he smell like? What did he eat? Like, did Jonah invent sushi? That's part of my question, right? And then seeing that picture of him getting thrown up later on the beach, that would have been like the coolest thing to ever see. And by the time the class was done, I'll just tell you, I didn't learn anything about the book of Jonah. I just knew about the fish. But here's what I want to tell you as we start this four-week series looking at this incredible book. Jonah has very little to do with the fish, actually. 
In fact, the fish is only mentioned four times. This book, like every book of the Bible, is all about God. It's about the heart of God for people who don't know him. God's name is mentioned 38 times in this book of Jonah. There's only 48 verses in the entire book. And what we're going to learn in Jonah together is that God is loving, merciful, caring, patient, pursuing his people. He wants to see people come into a relationship with him. Or if you're following on your notes, Jonah is about a God who passionately loves and pursues people. People like me. People like you. People in this world, in this community. And friends, part of what is mysterious about that is that God has then invited his people to join him in sharing God's heart into this world. But as we talked about last week on Vision Sunday, if you were here, this is one of those areas in our faith lives that can become a little bit apathetic, right? It's one of those things that just sort of drops as we go on and on. Now, as a reminder, apathy is not laziness. That's what a lot of people think about when apathy, but actually apathy, it's just a lack of motivation, a lack of enthusiasm about something. It's a lack of concern about something. And as we will soon see, this describes Jonah perfectly. But I think it can also describe us, if we're not careful as his church, how we view evangelism or sharing our faith with others, right? We're told, we just looked at it last week, hey guys, here's your mission, go into the whole world and share the good news about me. But sometimes it's so easy to become apathetic about that. If you're following, this is why we wanted to spend the next four weeks in Jonah. If you're following, as his people, we must fight against the pull of apathy in our lives, especially in this area. I don't know how long some of you have been here, but we've started creating kind of a preaching calendar. And every time around this year, because we know this is the first thing to fall, including in my life, we will be doing a series kind of lifting this idea back up of joining Jesus in his mission in this world. And Jonah is a wonderful book of the Bible to help us do that. And so with that, I'd invite you, if you brought your Bible, to turn it to Jonah chapter one. If you're getting used to where things are in your Bible, get past all the middle all the big prophets are. Get past Ezekiel there and you'll find Jonah after Amos and Obadiah, but right before Micah. And if you don't have a Bible, you can grab one of the black Bibles we have in the seat underneath you there and find this amazing story on page 753. I love this passage, one of the best passages to preach on in the Bible. And I would love for you to have a copy of God's word. You get to mark it up, write in it. That's what the word of God does for us. But let's look at verse one together. It says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of of Amittai. So far, so good. These words would have been really familiar to any Jewish person reading this. They are used over a hundred times in the Old Testament to signify a divine communication from God to one of his prophets. And that's exactly what Jonah is. If you're on your notes, Jonah is a prophet called by God to the people of Israel. Now, real quick history lesson. Israel, as the nation, was split into two after King Solomon. There was the southern nation of Judah and the northern nation of Israel. And this is where Jonah is a prophet. In fact, we know from 2 Kings 14.25 that Jonah prophesied during the reign of Jeroboam II. And he was the king of Israel from 793 to 753 B.C. This would have made him a prophet along with Amos at the time. They would have maybe even known each other. And you need to know that this wasn't an easy time in Israel's history to be a prophet. 
They were going through tremendous amount of stress. They were going through persecution. So I'm sure when Jonah hears the Lord speaking to him, he's excited. Good, I might be able to send a message of hope to God's people. But the Lord had another idea. Look at verse 2. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. At this point, Jonah would have done a double take. What? What did you just say? Nineveh? Surely you don't mean there. Nineveh is the capital of Assyria. Assyria were the ones who were persecuting the Israelites. Friends, understand, Jonah is a prophet called to speak to the nation of Israel. God doesn't call his prophets to go to other places. God was focused on one nation, his chosen people. So for God to call one of his prophets to go and speak to another nation would have been confusing to Jonah. But we're told in verse 2, God says, listen, things have gotten so bad there. So evil, so wicked, I'm sending you to go preach against them. Tell them to go knock it off. Now, some of us might be thinking at this point, okay, what's the big deal? Well, this is a huge deal. Because you can't understand what God is asking Jonah to do unless you understand that Jonah, and every Israelite for that matter, hated Nineveh. Like, this is beyond apathy, right? We're fighting against apathy these four weeks. Jonah hated these people. He had no desire to go to Nineveh because if you're on your notes, Nineveh was an evil city and hated enemy of Israel. It's kind of crazy. There's an entire book of the Bible called Nahum. And the entire prophecy of Nahum is against Nineveh. It is about the judgment that is going to fall on them and their destruction. Nineveh, the capital of Assyria. Assyria, who had plundered and murdered the people of Israel. Assyria, who is eventually actually going to completely destroy them. This is the last thing, the last place that Jonah would want to go. I'm not exaggerating. If I would tell you, it'd be like asking a Jewish person during World War II who lived in New York City, God calling them to go and preach in the streets of Berlin. That is what it would have been like for Jonah. But that's what God does. He says to Jonah, I want you to go and preach. And by the way, those are the exact same words that are up on our banners, aren't they? I want you to go into the whole world and to preach and share the good news of my coming for you as Jesus God calls people like Jonah, and here's the reminder, God calls us still today to join him in sharing the message of salvation in Jesus Christ, even when we are apathetic about it or even when we don't want to do it. It's bizarre to me. This is how God would choose to do this. There's no plan B. The church is his plan. Go into the world and make me known. And I'm like Jonah sometimes. I don't like those people, though. This is God's plan for Jonah. You're going to be the instrument of revelation to your enemy. What will Jonah do? Let's read verse 3 out loud on our notes there. It says, But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. But Jonah... Interesting words, aren't they? God calls Jonah, but Jonah. How many of us know what it is to run from God? How many of you know what it is to have God clearly speak something in your life, 
But then following that is this phrase, but Steve. Enter your name there, but, but. What is that called? The biblical word for that is called disobedience. And I want you to understand this book, Jonah is a picture of disobedience for us. Disobedience is not ignorance, right? Not knowing what God wants you to do. It's this idea that I know exactly what God wants me to do. And I'm still going to choose to run away from that and do my own thing. If you're following on your notes there, disobedience is a refusal to do what God clearly commands. If we know what God says, and by the way, we have a book that tells us, and we don't do it, it's just called disobedience. Like Jesus said, right, if you love me, you will do what I command. God says, Jonah, I want you to preach against the Ninevites. Jonah says, uh, no, I'm good. Thank you. Why? Why would he say this? Why would he disobey? Well, we're going to find out later in chapter four, but basically he's like, I don't want to give these people a chance. I don't want them to know you. I hate them. I want the worst for them. I don't want them to know you, God. And Jonah is just a great picture while we're doing this series, right? Of someone who has lost their heart for the people who don't know Jesus. Out of indifference or unconcern or fear, the people of God, I include myself here, it's so easy for us to become apathetic, right? To not really care anymore about the people who don't know Jesus. Now, I just want you to get a visual of Jonah's disobedience here. You have to see a map to understand what he's doing, okay? So Jonah was supposed to go northwest. Instead, he is going as far east as he can possibly go. This is not like partial obedience, right? This is straight on, I'm going the opposite direction than you call me to do. And again, to that extent, that's what disobedience is. And I will say this, one of the things I hope you can walk away with this morning is I am Jonah. There are things in my life where I can say, I am just like that. I'm sure you can think of some things even in your life right now. I know I can. I am Jonah. I know what is right. I know what God has called me to do, where God has called me to go. But instead, at times, I choose to go the opposite direction. One area in my life right now that the Lord is working on in me is just this grumbling, complaining attitude. When things get really heavy, when I'm really stressed out, I go to where the Israelites went. Self-pity, moaning, grumbling. I am Jonah. The word of God says rejoice always. And I'm saying, no thanks, I'm going to run 2,500 miles away and complain instead. The funny thing about Jonah and his disobedience is where is he actually trying to run from? What is he trying to run from? We see it two times in verse three. What is he running from? The presence of the Lord. What a fool. It's kind of laughable, right? I mean, Jonah knew the word of God. He knows verses like Psalm 139, seven through 10, right? It says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I were to go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, that's what he's trying to do. Even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. Can you run away from God? (laughs) Nope. But isn't it true that in our disobedience, we get so 
messed up in our thinking that we think we can. He doesn't see me here. He doesn't know what I'm doing here. I can hide this from other people, and therefore, I can hide it from God. Been there, done that. Once again, I am Jonah. Maybe you're here this morning, and you're running, and you've justified it in your life. You think you can run from God's presence. He doesn't care about this particular sin. Maybe there's an addiction that's eating away at your life. Maybe there's a relationship you've allowed into your life, and it's sinful, and you know it. Maybe you've chosen a group of friends who are influencing you contrary to the ways of Jesus. Maybe there's a lifestyle choice, and you're feeling convicted by it right now, but you're trying to ignore that. You're running, and it's leading to a dryness in your spiritual life. Maybe, like Jonah, you hold a deep hatred towards some people. And you don't want them to experience God's mercy. Honestly, maybe it's not even a negative thing that you're running from. Disobedience is not always doing something wrong. Sometimes it's avoiding doing the right thing. I know what scripture says about loving my spouse, but I'm going to run from that. I, I, I know that I am called to give my best to my employer in my work life, but they don't give their best to me, so... I'm going to be lazy in this situation. Maybe God is just pursuing you to spend more time with him and his word and in prayer. And you're just sort of running from that. Like we talked about last week, filling our lives with trivial distractions. I don't know. Maybe, just maybe though, I am Jonah. And you are Jonah. And we are running from what God is asking us to do. Here's the hard truth I want us to know this morning. If you're following, the longer we disobey, the harder it is to return to God. The further I go towards Tarshish, the harder it becomes for me to turn back because my heart starts to become hard towards God and his word. Paul talks about this, right? Why do I keep doing the things that I don't want to do? He understands, right? The more we do those things, the more they become habits in our lives. And as you know, I know habits are tough to break. We run from God. Anybody else know this to be true besides me? Nobody? Cool. (laughs) You guys are amazing. Well, where is an area in your life where God has been clear to you, and yet you're still choosing to go towards Tarshish? Maybe you've even justified this. Maybe it doesn't even bother you anymore. We're going to see that exact situation in Jonah in just a minute. But here's the good news. Here's the really good news. If you've been running from the Lord for some time, he's still pursuing you. He's still coming after you. He still loves you. In fact, let's read verse 4 out loud on our notes together there. It says, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. I love it. Jonah ran. I run. You run. But the Lord. But the Lord. But the Lord. Friends, if you think when we disobey God, God's like, well, there she goes. (laughs) Nothing I can do about it. Good luck. No. When we try to run from God, he's coming after you. He's coming after me. This is what this book is about. If you're following on your notes, God is absolutely relentless in his pursuit of us. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he sent. 
his one and only son, to pursue us. Jesus said it about himself this way in Luke 19.10, for the son of man came to seek, to save the lost. He is relentless in his love and pursuit of people. Jonah thought he was finished with God and God says, I'm not finished with you. This disobedient prophet had the false idea he could flee from the presence of God. He lost. He lost. Some of you have experienced this, right? I love baptism Sundays. Part of the reason I love them is you hear these exact stories. I grew up in the church and then I went to college and I walked away from God. But God. God, we all have stories where God pursues us because he will never let us go. In Jonah's case, how does he pursue him? I love this, right? The Lord hurled out a great wind upon the sea. How good of a God do we have? If I'm God, you know what I'm saying? Go, go ahead. You haven't been the greatest prophet anyway. I'll get a new prophet, clear some room off the payroll here. God never does that. God is not done with Jonah. Jonah runs, but God goes after him. And he does it, don't miss this, by sending a moment of crisis. Have you experienced that? Sometimes the only way God can get our attention is through a moment of crisis, through a storm, through suffering. The further I try to run sometimes, the greater the storm becomes. And he keeps sending them and sending them. One of the things I've told parents whose children are running away from the Lord is pray for storms. They're like, no, I don't want to do that, my poor kid. No, I'm serious. Sometimes it takes, it takes something like that in a person's life to make them realize, I've got nowhere I can go that doesn't lead to a dead end. Maybe I need to turn. Let's look at verse 5. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God. I mean, again, if this story doesn't make you laugh a little bit, I don't know what would. The sailors were afraid. This is like a lawyer being afraid of the courtroom or a doctor being afraid of the hospital, right? This is what these guys do. They, sailors, this is their life. They know storms. So what does it tell us? Why are they afraid? This is no normal storm. Then to further idea, it says, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. Wow, this is their livelihood. They're in big trouble if they survive this storm. They'll be out of a job. But they're thinking right now, I can either be dead with a job or I can be alive without a job. And they're like, we're throwing this stuff over. This is a really bad storm. And then we get to the rest of verse five. Oh my goodness. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. Don't you just want to punch this guy? Oh, it's nap time. Here are these people fighting for their lives and fighting for your life. And he is so self-centered, so self-focused, so self-consumed. He thinks this is a great time to catch up on my sleep. Even as he's running from God, Jonah's actions apparently don't bother his conscience one bit. In fact, he's oblivious to the fact that his disobedience is affecting the people around him. And this is one more thing to say about disobedience, right? If you're following on your notes, our disobedience also ends up hurting those around us. Let me say it again. I am Jonah. I too can become oblivious 
to the effects that my disobedience is having on others. I mean, let's just take that complaining. Do you think that has an effect on my family? I start hearing my family complaining. I'm like, where'd you get that from? Has an effect on my coworkers? Has an effect on my relationship? Yeah, but I'm oblivious to that sometimes. Now look at verse six. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. Now, knowing sailors, I bet you there's some language the Bible left out for us right there, right? (laughs) Is God saying this to you today? Wake, Wake up. Stop going that way. Get up and come back to me. Why make a choice like that? Verse 7, then the sailors said to one another, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. And in the least surprising moment in this story, they cast lot, and guess what? It fell on Jonah. Now, you may be wondering, what does that mean to cast lots? Well, this was a way in the Old Testament where people tried to discern God's will. Think of it a bit like rolling dices or something like that. And we're told in Proverbs 16.33 that God actually honored this. He would make sure the right decisions were being made. But the last time this happened, and I find this fairly cool, is found in Acts chapter 1, when the disciples cast lots to fill the last spot of the apostles, right? And then what happens in Acts 2? The Holy Spirit comes. Never again do we need lots to discern God's will for us. As Paul says in Romans 8, we now walk in the Spirit. We can now discern and know God's will for our lives. He will convict us if we need to be convicted. He will guide us if we need to be guided. He will heal us and minister to us if we need to be healed and ministered. The gift of the Holy Spirit is incredible. In verse 8, the sailors start pelting Jonah with questions. I love it. So they asked him, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? At this point, I imagine Jonah takes a deep breath because he knows the gig is up. He has been caught. Look at verse 9. He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord. The name Yahweh, right? The, the, the God above all gods. The God of heaven who made the sea and the land. And I'm just, I love it in my imagination. I hope you do a scripture too. I imagine at that point, they're like, wait, what did you just say? Uh, I'm a Hebrew. No, 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 not that part. I worship the Lord. No, no. The last thing you said, the God who made the sea. Yes, the God who made the sea. That's the God we need right now, right? That's it. Pray to him. Notice their response when they learn his God, who their God actually is. They were terrified them and they asked, what have you done? By the way, that's not so much a question in the Hebrew. It's more of an explanation. Like, what are you thinking? If that's who your God is, you knew he was the God of the land and the sea. What are you thinking trying to run away from him? I mean, they knew, we see there, he was running away from the Lord because he had told them. But now they're like, we didn't know he was the Lord of the land and the sea. And sometimes, by the way, that's a great question to ask someone who's disobeying. The point of the question is, listen, brother, sister, in view of who you know God is, of his love for you, his pursuit of you, that he always has your best interest in heart. What are you doing? Why are you choosing this path? Why are you choosing this road? Why would you disobey God's word when it is to be a lamp unto our feet? 
Now, verse 11, the sea was getting rougher and rougher. That's how it is sometimes when we keep running. And so they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Now, there have been commentators who say here this is a noble thing that Jonah is doing for this crew. He's almost like a a martyr here. And I'm just going to say I couldn't disagree with that more. A martyr is someone who dies for the glory of God. Jonah is offering to die because selfishly I believe he has no desire still to obey God. If you're following on your notes, I think Jonah would rather die than obey the will of God. Throw me in. Let's end this. I am not going to preach to the Ninevites. And that is the moment of truth for all of us. What could have Jonah done at this moment? When we are running from God, what is the opportunity that God gives each of us? Jonah could have gone and said, hey, guys, just a second. I'm going to go find a spot, get down on my knees, and I'm going to confess and repent. And I believe if he had done that, I think the storm would have stopped. I think the sailors would have been like, all right, let's go back. Let's dump this guy off. And he would have made his way to Nineveh. But you know what he says instead? Throw me overboard. I'd rather die than do what God wants me to do. How does a person get to that place? I say it, I'll say it again. The longer we choose to disobey and go towards Tarshish, the harder and harder it is to come back to God. But even then, I don't get it. God will not stop pursuing us. Look at verse 13. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. We went kayaking as a family this summer on a really windy day. And I got to say, it was awesome going downwind, (laughs) flying. But trying to paddle together going into the wind was miserable. It was a hard work. Now, can you imagine trying to row against God? That's what these guys are doing for Jonah. And what's really sad about this story to me, if you're following, is that these pagan sailors care more for Jonah than he does for them. Jonah, in his disobedience, is quite willing that the entire Nineveh perish. These sailors, themselves pagans, like the people of Nineveh, are not willing that even one person, Jonah, would perish even though he's the one who brought them into this position of great danger. Now, again, I would probably have another whole message to talk about this, but is this kind of how Christians are viewed today? Polls suggest that statistics show when people think of Christians, they think about what we're against, the people we don't like. But that's not how God thinks. That's not how God wants us to be. If you're following, we should be known for our compassion and concern. It is by our love that we will be known. Yet how often am I like Jonah? It is by what I'm against that I will be known. Then look at verse 14. Then they cried to the Lord, Oh Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, O oh Lord, have done as you pleased. Who cried to the Lord? Not Jonah. Verse 15, Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. Any Veggie Tale fans here? 
Have you ever seen this moment in the VeggieTales when they do? It's awesome. Like literally they throw them overboard and it's like, sun, birds. I actually think that might have been what it was like, right? Verse 16 then. Let's read it out loud together. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Do you see the irony of this story? Can you get a little bit of humor from the story? Here they are, these pagan sailors who just minutes before were praying to their multiple of gods become people who now serve and worship the one true God. So ironic. Jonah, I'm not going to preach to those pagans in Nineveh because I don't want them to know God, but he's caught in a situation, even in his disobedience, God is like, oh, I'm still going to make myself known in this situation despite what you want. God is relentless in his pursuit of people. The irony of this story, if you're following, is that God used Jonah to bring people to him despite his apathy, despite his disobedience. The hound of heaven will not be stopped. There's no escaping his heart for you. Even when our hearts are indifferent or unconcerned or apathetic towards him. As far as Jonah, how sad is this? His disobedience and running has gotten to him a place where he'd rather die than repent. But miracle above all miracles, God is not done with him yet. Jeff will pick this story up next week. But as we prepare for communion now together for today, I think this text leaves us with two clear questions for us to set before the Lord as we take communion together, as we get our hearts ready for that, as we confess and dig deep and experience the relentless pursuit and love of God through the body and through the bread. The first question is, am I being apathetic in any area of my obedience to God? Are you unconcerned? Are you running? Have you turned your back? Are you like Jonah running away from what you know God wants from you? Now, there's a big difference here that I'd love to talk about and what the Holy Spirit does. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is something called conviction. Right? It's that idea that I'm running towards Tarshish, but I can't get this off my conscience that I know I shouldn't be. That's conviction. And that's the moment we talked about, right, where he could turn. He can run the other way. That's different than condemnation. That is a lie from the evil one that says, I'm no good. God can't possibly love me. I've gone too far. It's too late for me. Conviction is the hound of heaven coming after you. Saying, turn. Don't have a hard heart. I'm waiting for you. I have what is best for you. Friends, if something the spirit has been saying to you has been revealed to you that you've been disobedient in, This is our chance to turn the ship, make it right. It's never too late to turn. God is pursuing you right now. I mean, if if you're feeling convicted, that ain't me. That's the Holy Spirit of God. He is pursuing you and he's like, come back. Come back to Joppa. I've got something in store for you that that life could never promise for you. Second question for us to consider And this is really the bigger point of this book we'll be considering the next three weeks. Am I apathetic in my desire for sharing the gospel? Like Jonah, have we become unconcerned 
for people who don't know Jesus. I think what this book teaches us, if God will pursue me and you with this kind of relentless love, how can we not do the same for the people he has put in our life? And so like I said, you're welcome to take your communion cup out right now. I'm just gonna give us maybe a minute or two. It's easy to come, it's easy to read the Bible, to hear the Bible. It's difficult to apply the Bible sometimes. But I'll just give you a moment to consider those two questions. Is there a place you're running from God? And have you lost your heart for those who don't know him? Let's pray. Lord, corporately we confess to you we are Jonah. So often we run away from you, from your word, turn our backs on you. We acknowledge that. But God, you always come running after us. May we never lose the awe and wonder that you so love the world that you sent your son to rescue us and redeem us and turn us from a path of destruction, death, into a path of life and forgiveness. As we prepare to take communion, that's what we're reminded of today, that you paid the ultimate price so that we may know you take it we pray for those who don't know you the people in our lives that we can think of even now give us the same heart that you have for us for them help us not to be apathetic but to be joyful to be encouraged 
yes, even to be convicted, that your call for us is to go into this world, into the places you've put us, and to share both through word and deed the incredible love you have for people. As we sang earlier, you are more than able. With all the faith in the room right now, you are more than able to do miracles. And we pray that you would do that in this series and beyond. Everybody agreed and said, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's teaching. If you'd like more info on our church, you can visit our website or find us on Facebook.